Welcome to The Authentic Spiritual Journey, a weekly podcast featuring real and practical spiritual conversations from diverse perspectives here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Today, episode 201, we welcome special guest, Vasintha Pather, and now your host, Reverend Cynthia Alice Anderson. Hello and welcome to The Authentic Spiritual Journey. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson. I'm the host, and I'm also lovingly known as RCA. So happy to be in the studio this morning with two friends. And first, my producer. Hello, everybody. This is Dave Croft. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of The Authentic Spiritual Journey. As always, I hope you had an amazing weekend and are ready for a fantastic week. Yeah, we're happy to be the ones that start your week off uh, right and good and positive and well. We hope to be the part of your week that is healing, that is um, bringing some new thoughts, perhaps, about your current situation as well. So we are in the studio today with a dear friend uh, all the way from uh, South Africa, our dear friend, uh, Vicentha Pather. And Vicentha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you, Dave. So exciting to be here. It is. It is. And um, I actually spoke about you a couple of weeks ago on the show a little bit. And, you know, our friendship has been such a gift to me. And, um, you know, we met in an educational setting. And I learned years ago that whatever that threshold meeting is can be very telling about the nature of the relationship you're going to have with that person. And that has been true with us, that uh, our connection has been one of uh, learning, of education, of inspiration, and um, even sometimes a little bit of uh, intellectual challenge. And I find that exciting. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. Um, as you know, I have a deep love for South Africa. And uh, when we first spoke, it was like, oh, you're from South Africa? I love you already. I don't know anything about you. And uh, then I got to know you and your work. And um, I can't say enough about the good you're doing. Um, so I'm really, really glad you're you're on the show today. Uh, Dave, you know, just for our listeners, and of course, Vicenta, we want to hear from you and we want to get to know you, but I really thought it would be uh, great for our listeners just to hear a little bit about you first, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. As a registered drama therapist in South Africa, Vicenta has a private practice specializing in psychodramatic, somatic, and narrative-based approaches in strengthening mental, mental and emotional health. She has a special interest in working with organizational leaders and in working with clients to integrate traumatic memories and experiences, particularly where there are indications of developmental or early attachment trauma. She is also an organizational development specialist focused on supporting leaders and teams internationally to craft cultures that promote, promote health, innovation, and inclusion. And she calls Johannesburg home. All right. Wow. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> right. It's like, that's really all about you, isn't it? I love it. I love it. Well, Vicenta, uh, you know, when we've talked, um, it's been so important to me to know how healing your work is, but also how that intersects with your spiritual journey. So 
you know, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. And I'm especially interested in hearing about the somatic uh, therapeutic practices and ther- somatic. Uh, I think it's also called at times somatic experiential therapy, right? Uh, it's new to me, that term. Um, and I wanted to hear a little bit about it because um, I think it might be uh, a wonderful integration of, of various therapies. So educate us on that a little bit, if you don't mind. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> but what I'm also really appreciative of, and it's which is a thread that's been really strong in our friendship, which I also really appreciate, is that uh, we often find ourselves in spaces and with people and being guided versus thinking we're leading ourselves into particular places, right? right? And in particular spaces. And so I think that's a big part of how I got to where I got, how I am right here, right now with the three of us. So often it is very much uh, an experience of my own life of being guided. I think the first, I think the first thing perhaps about how, what interests me and, and why I play in both spaces, perhaps, that you've named. I think there, in a South African context, firstly, trauma is, is present all the time. Yes. And it's something that we often forget. Mm-hmm. I think in a global context, we're all much, much more aware now of what trauma actually means, how present it is, how much we are living with it, how much we're needing to adapt to it all the time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's not, doesn't belong and is no longer restricted to the remit of a, of a therapeutic encounter in a therapeutic space. Exactly. It does require a specific kind of skill in holding and in working with what traumatic symptoms, traumatic memories, et cetera, present or the impact thereof. So that's a big a lot in terms of of the understanding around trauma. Me specifically, my own personal background, lots of trauma dynamics. I grew up in South Africa as a brown woman during apartheid South Africa. That meant that because of uh, racial discrimination, I was excluded um, as a result of the then political regime. And so what that did in terms of my own development was significant. It had significant impact. And so I'm ever grateful, ever so grateful. That was always something that I'm really sure ongoingly every day that was guiding me and leading me. And and often I felt myself responding to what was being presented. And then 50 years later, kind of go, oh, right, is that what was going on? Now I understand what the connections are. I went into organizational life first, but I've always had a very strong interest in in spiritual development and in personal development. Mm. And it seemed like when I was at a specific space in my career that this door opened for, maybe I had the mental and emotional capacity then to actually open up into the inquiry of trauma. Perhaps it would have been too hard to go there first 
because yes. of the my own healing that I needed to do. And also being in a societal context where that was very, very prevalent. Um, so I found that many, you know, 20, 30 years after starting my career in organizational life, the psychology underpinning in terms of education, I then went into understanding trauma and deepening my awareness and then bringing and then bridging these two spaces of working with personal development, trauma healing, and collective development in an organizational context. Yeah, right. And it and it's all about, I mean, it's all so intimately connected. Like, uh, you know, we always want to say, well, this is a business problem. This is a personal problem. But the fact is, right, the issues in business in organizations are very often, right, based in the trauma of the people leading them, the family systems uh, they came out of, and, and such as that, right? So it makes sense that you would be engaged at the level of the collective and the individual. Because I know that you did work, uh, or this was my understanding, that you've worked extensively, you know, with leaders of large organizations, right, and helping them... Uh, I, I the, the way I've read it in your work is like healing their culture. Is that, you know, kind of the work culture? Is that true? Yes, that is true. I think that talking about we forget that we forget that people actually make up organizations. Yes. Right? And as you rightly say, people come from a particular context. Mm-hmm. And that context and, and we, you know, we don't only have to talk about trauma, right? We're all on a healing, on a journey around healing and development. And it's not only individual development, it's collective development. And in fact, as we see, especially given these the issues that we're experiencing in the world right now, and not and it's not new for, for what's been happening for, for centuries, is actually it's collective, it's collective movement, collective health. And I've always been a a very strong proponent of the idea that the organization is a primary unit for collective healing. Beautiful. Those are leanings into ideas of positive psychology, strengths-oriented work, um, just healing, because we heal in community. We heal in relatedness. It's not a particularly individual path. There's an aspect that is individual and we have to have our own strong backbone to do the work. But in fact, we exist inside of community. And oh, where yes. else, I've often asked the question, where else do you have a collective of resource, skill, access to education, access to community, access to structure, mm-hmm. other than the the unit of an organization and so if we can leverage the resources in organizations to the end to the productivity of the organization as well as the health of the context that it sits inside of then I think we're really leveraging something in society that we're not doing very well today and therefore leaders so working with leaders and strengthening leaders in their own spiritual development in their own personal development so that we make good, healthy decisions that enable the organizational world to be a contributor of health in society. That's what I'm interested in. 
I love that vision. I love that vision that our organizations, whatever, where we live and work, right, are to be, um, are to be places of healing. And I, I do think, uh, you're right. It is incumbent upon the leaders because whatever, you know, spiritually, how I think of it, whatever consciousness the leaders come from, whatever consciousness the leaders hold and value, you know, as an organization, it naturally attracts those those same values, those same awarenesses. And so, so often, and I, I work in, you know, with a lot of uh, churches and ministers, and I find often that the ministers <laughs> want to blame uh, their members, and the members want to blame uh, the minister. And in fact, uh, it's usually all one issue. And, uh, and, and healing is possible, but when and only when the leaders are willing to be vulnerable and are willing to uh, be authentic with their struggles, authentic with uh, the issues they uh, need to heal. Um, and uh, that can be... Um, that can be very difficult if you're, uh, you know, seen as a leader, a spiritual leader, you're supposed to have it all together. Well, of course, this is true in organizations too. The CEO is never supposed to have uh, a question about judgment, you know, uh, and such as that. So, um, I love that vision that, uh, uh, I think it does apply to all communities, virtually what you're saying, because every system is really its own, uh, what did you call it? Uh, a primary unit for collective healing. I I love that. I just call have always called it like a group soul. You know that, right? That that as we're called together, uh, uh, and I'm working with my spiritual community on this right now. I'm teaching a lot about the individual soul, but as we move forward, it's going to be about how we are one collective soul, and we're really drawn together to do something, and getting clear about that purpose, and then you know doing the work that needs to be done to be able to live that purpose then is is down the road for us and and this seems to be in agreement with what you're speaking about right yeah thanks Cynthia and I think you know the words that you use and and descriptions around vulnerability authenticity capacity to be present to their uh, emotions leaders and other organizational practitioners the, the, that requires somatic. That requires being in touch with the body. It requires being in touch with the emotions, right? And that's where the somatic work is, becomes really important. So it's also, it's not about somatic instead of or in place of. Okay. It's about integration because we're really good in organizations at being intellectual, right? Really, really great. Thinking, decisioning, you come into the office your body's got to kind of stay out, just sit in one place for eight hours, right? You might get up to do it. But actually, what and what's really beautiful, what we've got access to now, of course, it, in the, the last five years, five, ten years, is, there is there's been so much information about the need to be much more embodied in the health and the, and the way in which our cognitive and behavioral resources are intimately connected to our emotional states. And therefore we have to access those emotional states often through the body. That's the doorway. So if we can become more somatic and not 
and not other it, like it's something unnatural. We have to become something. We are already that. Exactly. <laughs> we are. We're not disconnected, right? Uh, yeah, and I'm just still going back to what you said initially about trauma. Um, uh, I also grew up in a very traumatic setting um, with a lot of um, abuse and drug use and alcohol use, um, you know, on a very daily basis. And um, I think, you know, my experience of trauma is personally is that, you know, when that's all you know, you don't really realize you're even in trauma. It's just life as you know it. And, and, you know, if there's not, you know, as you were, so as you were talking about the organization and the need to be aware of your feelings and so it's like, so often we're bringing in these, these, um, psyches based in trauma. And sometimes we're acting as if the trauma is still happening. And in fact, it's not that at all, you know, and we can so easily, uh, project our childhood experience onto what's happening and really create a lot of, um, Oh, unnecessary wounding, uh, of coworkers, the workplace in general, a toxic environment. And, uh, so sometimes we just don't even know, we don't know what we don't know, right? So if if the personal work has not been at least begun or attempted, or if you're not in practice in some way of, as you say, developing yourself or your spirituality, you you, you don't know that you're behaving from this traumatic framework. And that's the thing that I see, the lack of self-awareness is the thing I see most of all in organizations that brings them down very quickly and creates toxicity in the workplace. It's like, right. uh, yeah, exactly. And exactly. And then that is really layered, right? Because so if, it, if I take South Africa as an example, we've only been in a democracy for the last 25 27 years, somewhere Yes, there. yes. It's really, really recent. I mean, in a, at a societal level. Right. It's baby, right? It's really, really recent. So if we think about the psyche, as you, as you name, and the mindsets that will have generated leadership in organizations and these communities, mm-hmm. prior to that, they would have primarily been of a particular set of ideas, attitudes, etc. Things have opened up tremendously. But what we've not done is necessarily created spaces where we can where we can heal those dynamics and and or input new dynamics, healthy dynamics in a deliberate way. So it might be happening already. But as you're saying, because and what we know from trauma healing, there's specific there's specific conditions, there's specific specific behaviors. For example, our speaking, the safety of the environment the tone of our voices, the social engagement between us, all of this contributes to a level of healing at an unconscious level. So if I'm not aware of the dynamics that are driving me because of my own trauma experiences, Mm -hmm. I'm going to come in and potentially be threatened by somebody who is very assertive. Assertive does not mean threatening, but because of my own, because of the unhealed dynamics inside of me, I might respond in a particular way as because the environment, I'm just going to respond to the environment as though it's threatening, even if there is no threat. That's just one threat, right? There are many other threats too. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a context of social injustice, 
The question also is, if we talk about self-awareness, who has got access to the resources to provide that? How many people in this country have got access to go to a therapist and do psychoanalysis and be in uh, environments like that? The privileged, the resource. And I don't think that's untrue for most of our for most of our world, right? Right. Society itself and the environment that we exist in needs to be a buffer for our healing. And that is that is probably that is what was happening many, many years ago, before, before the kinds of injustices that we have today set in. And I say that quite carefully because I think it's also important that we're not idealistic and think that life is it's always going to be this, it's going to reach this like perfection. There's no such thing, right? We're humans. There's always going to be another wave of something. But I do believe that our capacity for healing each other, that we have that capacity already because that is who we are. And if we can strengthen those capacities and strengthen the environments that enable that, then we stand a better chance of building healthier societies as opposed to holding on to the belief system and the requirement that people have to go into therapy all the time in order to to heal and resolve Mm. their, their, there's a need for that, sure, but there's also a need to build healthy society where Mm. we can help each other just by behaviour, not necessarily because I'm here to come and help you. No, just be a better human, right? Right. Hopefully. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly, exactly right. And I'm actually feeling like, you know, as you say all this, I want to take a minute to take this in and I want to go ahead and take a break. And I want to talk more about, you know, your personal journey uh, as we we come back. But I think this uh, gives our listeners a lot to consider. And um, I I just want to leave our listeners with the thought that, um, you know, in the Western mind, everything is so cerebral, and you and I have spoken of of this many times personally. And uh, I love the idea that as we uh, develop in our um, as we develop in our awareness, that there is a balance of that, but there's also an embodiment, you know, that is so needed, and then a living into some of the learning and uh, uh, and as you say, a shift in behavior. Um, uh, one of my mentors said to me, you know, you're not responsible for what you think and feel, but for what you do and say. So your behaviors uh, must change to heal yourself in the world. And so with that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back after these messages. Hello, friend, and thank you for listening to the podcast. I'm so grateful you are listening. And I want to invite you into one more thing. I always get super excited to teach this course. It's called Dream Big, Live Big Basics. This is the first course in a series of courses based on the Dream Big, Live Big idea. This course will help you grow, prosper, and evolve because you're going to learn how to tap into source. In other words, tap into spirit in you and listen to your own heart and soul for what dreams you still want to dream and what realities you still want to manifest. So the group will have peer support. uh, You will have accountability and a lot of love 
um, as you seek to know what are those dreams and goals you still want to manifest. Uh, there are already people registered for the course and it starts Monday, May 2nd. So to register, just go to CynthiaAlisAnderson.com and hit book now. So Dream Big, Live Big Basics starts Monday, May 2nd at 7 p.m. For more information and to register, go to CynthiaAlisAnderson.com. Blessings on the journey, dear friend, and I hope to see you soon. Welcome back. We're glad you're with us for episode, Dave, did I hear you right that you said 201? 201 last last week. You know, last Monday was, was our 200th episode and so thankful for all of our supporters and those who came out to our live recording. That was uh, cool. And uh, that was really a, a good way to give back to those who have been with us along the journey, uh, providing their uh, their not not just their their moral support and prayer support, but but really actual real life money, financial support to help keep the show on the air. <laughs> yeah, that real life money pays the bills, friends, and we're grateful for it. Yeah, host, and, hosting providers they they don't yeah they don't they don't take <laughs> thoughts and prayers. <laughs> They don't take potato salad as no, a they gift. Don't. They they want to be they want to be paid. Uh. <laughs> well, and what's so amazing because this is my online ministry, and Dave has always been an important part of my online ministry, and um, you know I depend on him and rely on him, and and you know we're in this together. He always says, "Well, I'm just the producer." <laughs> but we all know there's no just uh, about that. That the production because he does it with a very specific energy and passion and consciousness and consciousness of excellence and support for me that shines through. And so, uh, friends, we are grateful for that, uh, for that financial support and also want to lift you up for that. And, and having our friend Vicentha Pather here today, um, has reminded me of something. And Vicenta, I don't think I said this to you exactly when we spoke, but I alluded to it, which is, you know, we do have a global reach. Uh, I meant to check before the show. We know we're in over 80 countries. I would guess now over 90. Uh, we're just uh, 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 delighted that people around the world are connecting with what we're saying and that they're following it and they're understanding it and their paths are getting touched and they're helping others, you know, as they get illumined in their, you know, in their thoughts and and we know lives are being uh, impacted in a very positive way. Uh, sometimes we get constructive criticism, and we receive that too. But but what I think is so significant in show 201 is that you are part of our global reach, and that I know you are going to help us uh, reach people that probably would never have heard this show. So we're grateful to you and honor you for that. And I know you, uh, your consciousness, the way you approach life is from a global perspective, you know, and it's another reason I wanted to have you on the show. Thank you, Cynthia. And yeah, I think just perhaps mirroring that a bit, I think, you know, when you opened and talked about how we've met we were in a global context of educating ourselves inside yep. of inside of a group that was already global, and yes, and um, you've been a source of real inspiration and strength and sisterhood for me yeah, in this yes. growth as well. And it's been so 
COVID has been an incredibly hard experience and continues to be an incredibly hard experience for so many of us. And then there are are these gifts Mm -hmm. inside of this broader context, and this has been one of them. Uh, I know if I, again, speak, speak, I'm going to speak about a South African experience that we have a lot. Yeah. Even inside one of the things that this global context gives us, I believe, and I've been very fortunate in my life in that I've often, for my whole career, my 30-year career, most of my work has been in a global international context. So I've always been connected with people from other countries, other cultures, and learning ongoingly. I've had the opportunity to live in other countries, and it's given me an incredible source of connectedness and understanding and connection and empathy and humility in terms of our humanity, just who we are as humans. Yes. In the South African context, what we have at the moment is a very, very difficult aspect of our society and is residue of, of the post-apartheid era is, is I'm sure many people have read about the xenophobic violence that we often experience in our country. And I mean, there are many reasons for why that's occurring. And I often have felt when I've traveled abroad, especially in other African contexts, mm-hmm. is that if, if our youth had the opportunity to see how other people live and experience life and the difficulties that other people in countries that experience some of the issues that we experience, they saw that. It changes changes how we show up. It changes how Completely. we feel. But then we see each other as humans. And we don't see each other as others, as enemies. So I hope, yeah, I have a I have a dream for our youth in this country is that you know they've lost so much and, and there's and there's youth as in people of the age, the youth, but then there's also a, a younger me and a younger you that has lost and missed out on a lot. Oh, and yeah. that aspect you have access to what we've got today is a gift when we have got the resource for it. And again, I'm talking about collective. And there's a, I don't know if you know the uh, researcher Lev, I think his name is Vygotsky. He, well, his name is Lev Vygotsky. He's not around any longer. He was a Russian psychologist. His work was banned for many years. And he's, and it's only, I think, in the last last few decades that his work has been introduced into the world and it's actually a lot of uh, a lot of his work is applied in educational psychology in education in teacher training etc one of the things Vygotsky talked about was he used the notion of scaffolding is in community and in context one of in a social context one of the primary ways in which we learn and develop and support each other is the notion of mutuality right so that there's mutual Uh, mutual support, mutual connection, mutual learning, mutual values. And he used the notion or the metaphor of scaffolding around thinking about development is that when we build scaffolding, because some of us have got more experience in some areas, some of us have got more uh, knowledge, more support in certain areas, and when we bring those together in a social context, we create scaffolding that helps those that have less experience in those areas 
which would include us in certain uh, in certain fields, yeah. that we we develop a stronger mutuality because we create social scaffolding, and that's the kind of idea that in talking about how we what has happened, I think, in a global context, and what I wish for my own country in our youth is that we're stronger at this building social scaffolding where those those of us that know more come together with those that don't so that we can accelerate these pathways to learning and development and access to resources. And, yeah, I think part of how you and I have met was in that kind of context. And I think in a global context, what we do, talking about the community that, that um, the, the contribution that you and Dave are making and that your church, the kind of community, this is global scaffolding, right, around spiritual development. And it's the platform might be different or not, because you're right, in the last two years, we're all suddenly yeah, zooming, right? right? Suddenly yeah. we're all zooming, yes. Right. And there's this acceleration of information and knowledge and development, which if stewarded in a healthy way, it's got extraordinary possibility for us. Yes, it's so true. And I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning of of this half when you were talking about traveling to uh, or or the opportunity if if our youth could travel. And I wanted to share a little bit of a story from uh, my childhood, because uh, when I was uh, 15, I should have known, too, the story was coming because before we ever got on the air, Dave mentioned ham radio, which I have not had heard anybody say for 20 years, uh, at least. But uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to go with a group to Brazil, and we were in the interior. Uh, there was a little uh, town called Itabadaba, and there were no... Uh, no, uh, there was no plumbing. There were no roads to speak of. The one traffic light in what they were calling the city didn't work. And armed guards were outside the bank with machine guns, uh, you know, in the town. And I went to help a pilot who took supplies to people, you know, kind of in the interior there. And I was only 15 and was even able to drive in the country, which was uh, another experience all on its own. That's a whole show of its own, telling the stories of driving. It gave me such a different worldview. And I did not grow up with a lot. I was the youngest of nine children. And, uh, you know, we lived uh, uh, in a small town in Georgia. Uh, so we did, by no means did we have a lot of money. Uh, but I'd never seen people living in homes made of sticks and found items. I had never seen no plumbing at all anywhere. Uh, even though we grew in our family, we grew up with little uh, plumbing uh, at the beginning. We built our home and were able to add plumbing and everything. But th that whole villages, whole communities would be living this way was um, unknown to me virtually. Uh, even though I was educated and even though uh i had what would be termed a good quote unquote education i was not aware of the world in that way 
and it completely changed my worldview. And I remember coming back because I had a, I went with a small group of friends and I learned a little bit of Portuguese to share uh, when we were in community. But one of the friends that went with me, a young man, we were about, well, we were, he was one year younger than me. And he came over to my house one day and I said, it, we had, you know, been back from this Brazil trip for not even a week. And he said, can I, I just got to come over. You know, when he came over and I said, I said, are you okay? And he goes, what, what are we doing? He said, like, what is life when all that is going on and none of us are even aware of it? He said, I feel like I'm sitting here doing nothing and I could be helping. And so, I mean, it was just, I said, I feel exactly the same. And it, it changed us so fundamentally, this, uh, this trip. Um, I think it, it literally changed the course of my life because of this desire, this, um, understanding that that much suffering yeah that well i had my own individual trauma but that there were whole communities living in trauma was unknown to me and i think it's what had spurred me toward my own awareness my own desire to wake up and then kind of help us all do the same and bringing in the global context. So I, I thank you for mentioning that so that I could have that memory and that awareness. And the reason I mentioned the ham radio is when we were gone for that two weeks, the way we called home uh, was ham radio. And so our parents had to all gather in this like little place and we would all, you know, take turns talking on, talking on ham radio. And of course, nowadays that would not be, uh, that would not happen, but there is a whole yeah. world. And of course, uh, Vicenta, what's so interesting here in the States is that, um, many people believe, oh, well, this only happens in other countries. It, the truth is it's happening on Indian reservations all around the United States and in North America for that matter. So it, it is not only, uh, globally, it is in our own backyard, and we are largely unaware as well. I just I wanted to say. And in our inner cities, for that matter, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, the, for your candor and for sharing your experience. It touches me. And perhaps that's part of why you and I feel so connected. Yes. And... My, my interest, that, you know, talking about collective, I've always been a, I've been a facilitator for over 30 years. I've always been, you know, worked with groups. And, and you and I were talking about this the other evening, something that I'm really reclaiming, especially as part of my own uh, history in South Africa of, I come from Indian heritage, Hindu heritage, mm -hmm. and that was violated in a South African apartheid totally. context and in a global context where Western ideology is the dominant ideology, the dominant narrative. And if you were aligned with a more Western 
narrative and dominant narrative that was right, right? Then I was, then I was, was right, wasn't wrong. <laughs> That's the other reason that if it came from anything else, especially if it was, if it was first peoples in the context or first nations in the context mm-hmm. of Eastern and African, but and as you point out in um, Native American traditions, First Nation, that all of that was marginalized. All of that was marginalized. And what we find today is, of course, we're coming back to the wisdom of those traditions and the wisdom of those teachings. And we were starting to really scientifically, and perhaps that was the pathway also, you know, who am I to decide what life's path should be? There's a bigger path that we have to lean into and I have to trust. And but what but what quantum physics, for example, is is showing us now is that what was taught in those traditions and those paths is exactly true. Yeah. Exactly, we're just confirming what had been taught five, six, ten thousand years ago. So Part of my own personal journey with my own spirituality and my own growth has really in the last few years been a deep reclamation of my own heritage and an integration with what I've learned through other contexts. So not to throw out what is right about a Western, Northwestern ideology, and I'm going to name it that. I know it's it's quite limiting and limited. Um, but to integrate that with what reclaiming what is my own heritage and you know what's really powerful for me and what I think part of our work is, which which I believe in all spiritual spiritual traditions is the teaching, is actually access to health, well-being, universal resource. And I and I'm not using that language in a limited sense of material wealth, even though that's part of it, is is available to all of us. Hindu scriptures and teachings talks about, you know, we walk around like beggars, and if only we knew what was underneath the rags, we we would be staggered. That we are walking around as beggars, but actually underneath it, we're, we're like sparkling jewels walking around right we have access to that but we are inside of a mindset that restricts us from believing that that is who we are we're not separate from nature we're not separate from universal truth um and so part of the work for me and the work that I do which has been a deep part of my own journey and continuously because also coming from a very deep lots of trauma is that I, I've had to and continue to find pathways for my own spontaneity and my own belief system to expand into actually yeah. this is all available to me just because I exist. Absolutely. Yes. I don't yeah. need anything more, right? And that's the lie of the the sort of fundamental capitalist structures that mm-hmm. we and there's obviously that's very layered. So I, I, again, I don't I don't proclaim to know enough about it ideologically to say that's the only issue because it's not. But in a very kind of mindset of productivity, maybe that's the better word. Yeah, is in a, in a mindset, a predominant mindset of productivity. We believe that that's the only way 
to generate well-being. It's not. It's absolutely not. And, and that is, I think we, we're at a crossroads where we all really have to reclaim the, the awareness and the belief and the trust in our, our own capacity to, to be well and our capacity to contribute to healing the world because here's where we are right now. I was listening to your, uh, to I think it was Sister Jenna, the podcast, and talking about Kali Yuga and the and the end of this Iron Age into the Golden Age, which is what the Hindu scriptures talk about. Mm-hmm. Is, and this entering into this age, in our minds, we have to enter into that age. Is that something yes. happening out there necessarily? Right. It's, it's in us. We have to enter right. into the golden age of our minds yes. and our beings by aligning our spirituality, our mental state, our emotional state, our behavior. When that congruence is in place, and as we and it's not a destination; it's an ongoing journey. Of course, right? of course. Then I think we generate more health in the environment around us, um, and and uh, one of the beautiful I don't know why these wisdoms I get I get sad when I think these wisdoms are so we can touch them they're right here and somehow our own internal collective restrictions prevent us from doing so but I work a lot with complex adaptive systems living systems approaches in culture design culture development in organizations trauma healing it's a systemic change and one of the key primary tenets of living systems and complex adaptive systems is that you, the more good you put into a system, you don't have to control the outcome. You have to keep the order. So the structure's got to be strong. We have to know why we're doing what we're doing. We have to know what the structure is. We have to know what we're trying to develop so that the right guardrails are put in place. And then as long as we put good things into the system, so family, the values are clear. We know, you know, who the parents, who the children, where do we live? The home is safe. We've got a strong environment. And then as long as you're putting good things in, the system naturally generates health, naturally generates health. We don't have to control that. The dominant mindset that we're in is that we've got to control the outputs, right? That's the, so the the abundance and the, there's a beauty in it for me in the simplicity of keep it clean, make sure the structure's clear, and just do good. <laughs> it's so simple. doing good, we have to clean up ourselves. Yeah. That's the work, right? That is the work. That is the work. And, um, you know, one last question. I know we're about out of time, but I wanted to ask, uh, for someone who might be new to some of the teachings in Hinduism, would you have uh, something you'd recommend somebody read, like the Upanishads, or what? What? What would be the Vedas? What? What would you recommend for somebody to to learn more about some of the teachings you're talking about? Mm, that is such a big question. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my sense is that here's an interesting thing that, that I've uh, had to manage inside of myself mm. in the last few years is that the wisdoms and, and 
tenets of Hinduism and Hindu philosophy has actually been integrated into most things. It just hasn't been named that way. It, you're absolutely right. You are so, absolutely right. Mythology, well, collective consciousness, collective unconscious, all of that is comes from the Vedic scriptures. Yoga, yes. meditation, mindfulness, Qigong, mm-hmm. uh, Tai Chi, uh-huh. all of these practices actually come from Eastern wisdom and have their roots in the in the Upanishads, the Vedic scriptures. Exactly. And I mean, really, Hinduism is the oldest religion in the world. I mean, uh, it'd be hard to get away from it, actually, because of how uh, our our um, our uh, connection with the sacred is trying to develop and I'm thrilled and, and evolve, I should say. So we are coming, returning back to, as you say, some of the ancient wisdom. So, and Vicenta, we're grateful that you joined us today. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and ask while we're on the air, I want to hear what you have to say. Will you come again and join us for another interview? Do you think maybe? If that, if there's, um, Interest, I would love to. This was, this was exciting, and and I've really appreciated you and Dave around holding the space for this. It's really been such a pleasure, and absolutely, how? All how? right, all right. Well, so you heard it, friends. We're gonna we're gonna uh, hold Vicenta to that, right? So she just told five thousand people or more. She's coming back. So this is great. And Vicenta, thank you. Uh, Any way you want to share this with your friends or colleagues or clients, of course, feel free to do so, but also feel no pressure in doing that. Uh, But we love to share. Uh, You'll be able to share it through Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, all the ways people get their, their information, and it is both audio and video. So as always, friends, we are grateful. We are blessed that you're along the journey with us. Uh, please do tell your friends, have conversations, uh, you know, set up a dinner around a topic that we talk about and bring your friends and neighbors and don't be afraid to get into these topics. Uh, check your worldview, friends. A lot of great stuff from today's show uh, about opening your awareness, about living the truth you know to the best best of your ability and, in fact, improving life as you know it simply by being present to yourself and to your life. So, We bless you. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you next week. Blessings on the journey, dear friends. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Authentic Spiritual Journey here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com slash support. The Authentic Spiritual Journey is copyright 2022, Cynthia Alice Anderson, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission from RR Hot Publishing. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.